Are we living the most real life possible? I ask myself this question all the time. Most of the time, the answer is, I just don't know. Sometimes the answer is, definitely not. This is why I have this podcast. I'm Matt Botker, and welcome to the show. Before we get started, just three small things. First, please, please leave a review where all reviews are accepted, like Apple Podcasts. It's the main way by which this podcast gets into the hands of other people. Second, please consider supporting Living the Real through a small recurring donation at patreon.com slash LTR or a one-time donation through Venmo or PayPal, all in the show notes. Third and last, please visit livingthereal.com and sign up for my newsletter, or you'll get updates on future resources like upcoming blogs, YouTube channels, guest appearances, and exclusive content on my Living the Real Method. Okay, on with the show. Okay, welcome to episode 11 of Living the Real. And I am Matt Botker. I'm excited about this episode. It is another solo episode, and this might go a little bit long, but I promise you, it is incredibly worth it. Today, we're talking about relationships. And man, this is something, this is my area of growth. And I would assume it's the case for most every other person who's listening right now. And I'm going to take a framework that for some of you, it might be familiar. And others, this may be completely out of your realm. But either way, listen, they think this can change your life. I've talked about this before, not on this particular podcast, but I've done this in the past, the past couple of weeks, I've done a little bit more research, just even self-investigation. I've learned a lot from this. So what am I talking about? Have you guys heard of the Toyota way? Read the book, the Toyota way. It's a success story about Toyota and this concept of lean manufacturing. You might be asking yourself, what, how does this have to deal with relationships? And I think it does in a profound way. So where did Toyota, how did Toyota begin to take on these concepts of lean manufacturing? Well, it came out of the post-World War when economics were just as a troubling time for Japan and Toyota needed to shore up its, quote, waste. They needed to streamline its manufacturing if it's going to have an opportunity to have a future. And so they adopted these basically seven principles these seven wastes that they looked at, and they tried to then do everything they could to remove as much waste as possible to bring as much value to the Toyota way. And as we know, Toyota is just remarkable. It, it, they're, they're cars. We have a Toyota. I, I think I'll never go back. I want a Toyota because they last forever. They don't break down. And it's not just pure coincidence. It's because they adopted something that really does work. And they shore up the waste. We're going to talk about this, and I'm going to talk about this in the context of relationships. This idea of getting rid of the waste of relationships. Now, there's eight now. There's an eighth one that we're going to talk about. So we're going to take the seven. We're going to add one more. We're going to reflect upon each one of these, these wastes in the kind of this lean principles, and applying this to love, to really try to have lean love in your life, which I know I could use more of. I could use this as a better reflection of my own life to have better relationships, to be a better friend, a better husband, a better father. And these hit me hard. So stick with me. I bet you this is going to have some life-changing stuff in it. So Toyota adopted these things. And what was its purpose? Well, it was to shore up the waste so they could have the most value as, as humanly possible. But they did this in a particular way. They did this in a way by putting the power onto the floor. 
Instead of the executives up in the top who are in some kind of building and maybe a different building, some office removed from what was going on the daily grind of manufacturing, they put the power back into those people to stop the assembly line at any point in time to make changes, to suggest anything, to lean up its manufacturing. And boy, did it change everything. So applying this directly to from Toyota to relationships, it's about not pointing the finger at someone else in the relationship, but putting accountability back where it belongs, myself, and you who's listening right now. Instead of wanting to point the finger and just say, man, if just he, she, whoever it is, would just do this, listen this way, respond this way, I would have a better relationship. Then I would respond and better. I would be a better man, a better woman. And that's just not the case. In the end, just like the Toyota Way, put the power back into the people who actually had the real power. So too, in relationships, these principles put the power back into the person who actually has the power, and that is myself, and only myself. It's all about removing waste. And this is where agile, if you've ever heard of this productivity, comes from. It's about really trying to start small so you don't have to waste so much. It's kind of the, that metaphor of the big rocket ship. You spend all this time building a rocket ship, and it takes off with a thrust, and it's going so fast, so intensely that you've got to have everything in place when you launch this rocket because you cannot course correct very easily once that rocket is going. But if you start small, you can course correct dramatically. And so this idea of trying to start small, make small changes so that you can change more dramatically within my own self. So let's define what waste is, right? It's basically waste, work that does not bring value to the product when it comes to Toyota. So... Anything that does not provide value to the product or the relationship, right? What in your relationship prevents fulfillment? Do you feel fulfilled in your relationship? If not, then there are wastes right now that need to be addressed so that you can begin to change that and not in a way that you point the finger at someone else and say, it's just them because that does nothing. So psychological wastes, worries, anxieties about relationship, physical wastes, lack of time committed to nurturing the relationship, Right, all these different things. But I have a huge caveat because my goal here is to spend the next 15, 20, maybe 30 minutes, I don't know, not to make this sound like you're going to have an efficient relationship like the Toyota Way. Efficient relationships suck, right? I know that. I'm a person who loves systems, loves checkboxes. And if you treat your spouse, which I know from firsthand experience, like a checklist, then you're not in a good place. So this is not about having an efficient relationship, right? Any waste can be transformed into profound value. It can. There's nothing truly wasted, right? So we're not trying to be efficient in our relationships. Rather, we're trying to build. We're trying to build an environment that can truly flourish. Get this environment ready so you can flourish in your relationship. And then all that being said, here's the kicker. The highest call of love, in my opinion, is to truly, quote, waste time with another. So then wait a minute, this makes no sense. If I'm going to reduce waste, and then you tell me, Matt, the highest call of love is to actually waste time on another, this is a contradiction. And honestly, it is not. Because what happens is, and I see this in my own life and other lives, I waste on the things that provide no value. And then I'm spent, overdrawn. I have no ability then truly to waste my time on something that's fulfilling. What do I mean by this? This idea of truly reallocating your waste to useful waste, right? 
instead of worries, anxieties, over things we're going to talk about in just a couple seconds, to, to spend that time really immersing yourself into someone else's joy when you have no joy whatsoever in that thing. Someone may love to go to the recycling center and it fulfills them and you have no desire to do it. But the person you love is a big recycler. So you go and not begrudgingly, but enthusiastically. And it's a waste of your time because it really is something you have no interest in. But you're interested in the person who's interested in that. And now you're interested. Do you see what I mean by wasting time? That is the highest calling. It's one thing, as one philosopher noted, to have sympathetic love. This love where you both enjoy the mutual experience. So nice. But that's not real love. That is a raw material of love to have a nice mutual experience. But when you don't have that experience, but yet you enter into that because you love that person, man, and that, that, that is love. So what is the waste in your relationships? Let's get right into it. So the Toyota way talks about seven, and we're going to talk about eight wastes. I'm going to list them right now. Write them down. If you're, if you're driving, don't write them down because you're going to get an accident. The first one is defects. Defects in the actual product is a waste, obviously. The second one is inventory. Storing up all this extra product that's not actually being sold is a waste because it's just accumulating tons of costs and sitting on shelves that have to be rented and buildings that have to be rented and hope that somebody's going to buy that product. So inventory is a waste. Third, overproduction. Producing too many things. Next one, waiting. This is waste that comes from spending time waiting for the next process to happen. There's nothing going on, and so it's a waste. Another one is called unused talent, right? Waste due to the unutilization of people's talent, skills, and their knowledge. You put them in the wrong spot. Transportation is another waste. Wasting, wasting time and resources, moving crap from one place to the next, all the time shuffling things, right? Less transportation is less waste. Motion is another one. Waste of time and effort related to unnecessary movements of people. And last, extra processing. Wasted time and more work and higher quality than is required. Trying to fine tune that product to make it just perfect when it actually will provide no additional value because very little people are going to notice it. That's, that's you, that's me trying to find the perfect font for my website, spending a month doing it all the while nobody really cares. Okay, so those are the eight wastes. But what does that have to do with relationships? Tons. This is an awesome framework. I want to guide you through this for the next 10 or 15 minutes. Let's look at number one, defects. Again, we said it's waste from a product or service that, that fails to meet customer expectations. There's a defect in the product itself. What about us? We come to relationships and of course we come with defects. Man, getting married has only surfaced the enormous and myriad amount of defects I have in my own life. Of course, there's mindset. Oh my gosh. This, has, this is an enormous defect. Carol Dweck's book on mindset is revolutionary. And if you haven't, you should read it. And she divides the two people into fixed and growth mindsets. And man, a fixed mindset can just be detrimental to relationships. Oftentimes we work out of shame because we're in a fixed mindset. Lack of hope. 
having this external locus of control, thinking that it's the other world out there that imposes itself upon us, and so I am just a victim. And so then I live my relationship that way. That's hard. Feeling unlucky. Luck doesn't exist. It's about people who see opportunities and snag it. Comparison. I know that. That destroyed me. They can destroy relationships. How you ought to be or should be. Your relationship should be like this or I should be like this other person over here who's way more successful and charming. Anxiety. People pleasing. I know people pleasing. I am a people pleaser, which leads me to passive aggression. Or then you have a growth mindset, which is you see things as an opportunity. We go back to my 3M framework that I talk about often. This idea of margin and momentum and maintenance, which is this whole package that allows you to really live the most fulfilled life possible. But you need all three of these to really, truly tap into fulfillment. And that first one, margin, it's all about establishing a deep sense of identity, having that space to set back and know who you really are and be able to look at life in its difficult moments and say, where's the gift in this? And that challenging relationship where you just feel like, wow, what that person just said nearly destroyed me. Now you're at this crux. Do you choose the victim or do you choose what does this make possible for me? So all of this being said defects is the first one. Going back to my episode just previously to this, I talked about this idea of maintenance and there's the five P's and the first three P's are principles, policies, and processes or procedures, however you want to call them. And when you look at this, I want to bring back that episode because each one of these defects, I think, has a counter principle. And if you take it to its logical conclusion, it means there's a policy and procedure as well for each one of us who maybe have a defect. For me, the principle right here in defect is the only person you can change is yourself or myself. So do not deflect that responsibility, Matt. I do this all the time. This is the principle that changes that defect and finds the gift in this. And if I want to follow that to its logical conclusion, I would find a policy that puts into place my ability to address my defects and a process to actually engage them <laughs> because I know I won't take care of them, correct them, heal them without a step-by-step process that is baby steps that makes me feel comfortable in addressing the most vulnerable parts of my life. Because then the next one is inventory which leads into this because oftentimes we have defects because we have a lot of inventory that we're holding on to. A lot of baggage, right? You just heard this phrase before. The definition of inventory in general is waste resulting from excess products and materials that aren't processed. How many of us have to go to counseling and process the crap in our lives that keep surfacing and destroying our relationships? The emotional inventory, storing up resentment, the parent wounds, the lack of forgiveness, just the pain. Here's one, an inventory. Fixed on storing up, quote, memories. What does that mean? This idea, especially in a technological age that we live with the camera and the iPhone, I think this, this puts a deep thing in our own soul that makes us feel like that we have to find our way to construct and craft our memories. And so we miss the present moment. And memories are meant to be a byproduct of a fulfilling life, not the focus. And here's the big thing, people. If there's one thing you take home on this one, by thinking about memories, throwing up memories, trying to create them, it misses the person 
and focuses on the experience. That's the vice. A good philosopher calls it sympathy, that we strive to create good mutual experiences rather than actually focusing on the person. Right? It doesn't have to be like this kind of like either or, but we're meant to focus on the person and not the experience. Again, the experience is the raw material of love, but not meant to be the substitution for love. So we're storing up all this inventory. We're missing the actual relationship principle here, the principle that minimal is maximum fulfillment. Minimum is maximal fulfillment. Great book. Put it on your list. The Paradox of Choice by Barry Schwartz and how options are great, but very quickly become out of control and paralyze us. Then he talks about these two different camps of people, maximizers and satisfizers. The maximizers need everything perfect and everything done well. And if it's not done perfect, they're never satisfied. And thus you get the other camp, which is the satisfizers. I am a satisfier. This is why I have living the real. Do I know exactly what I'm doing? No, I started just three months ago. I have a conception. I have a belief. I know I have value to give to the world and I'm just going to start. I do this because I'm satisfied with what I do and I want to grow it and make it better. And then there's the maximizers who won't actually do anything until they have 40 podcasts already planned. It's perfect. The best promo. They have the best people on. And so they miss out on life. Those who go to the restaurant and they dine and have a great experience and spend 45 minutes looking over the menu, finding the best possible item to choose. And then, of course, they spend so much time and then their meal comes. What happens? Not as good as I had hoped. Why? Because you spent 45 minutes trying to think about what is the best item on the menu and it's never going to then amount to your expectations. Versus the one who literally looks at the menu the burger looks good. Gets it? Wow. That burger is incredible. There is an inverse proportion to the amount of time you invest in something and the satisfaction you get from it. So minimal is maximum fulfillment. Less really is more. Third one, overproduction. Definition, waste from making more product than customer demand. So how does this affect relationships? Oh, I see this all over the map. Especially when you're first starting out a relationship, you put your best foot forward. You look like the knight in shining armor. You're overproducing and you're causing potential future problems. You're working to earn love. You're feeling maybe a little unlovable. So you've got to put on this best possible image. And all it does is create a huge gap between the expectations and the experience in the relationship. And one day, those things are going to divide. And that knight in shiny armor is no longer that knight in shiny armor because they're not perfect. And you know how many times I've seen this happen? Where people end up splitting up, divorcing, breaking up only because of the gap between what they expected and then what they all of a sudden experienced in the other person. It was too unshakable for them to continue. And so they end up breaking up, not because the person was, was a bad fit necessarily, but because simply the gap was just too big. That is really unfortunate. Again, the gap between experience and expectation. One of the first episodes I put on this gap is one of the most problematic problems. Here's another one that vexes us in overproduction, that expectations shape our experience. And I just thought about this the other day and it destroyed me because this is who I am. 
I mean, not who I am in my identity, but this is what I can struggle with at times. I can suffer from it in certain relationships. It's this idea that your expectations begin to shape the experience and pigeonhole the other person in certain circumstances. So what do you lose here? I lose the sense of discovery. When you, when you allow your expectations to shape your experiences, you're no longer discovering the other person, which is really the most important part of a new relationship. You never, never lose that because the other person is inexhaustible. Never can you determine them completely. There's something about them that is always kind of mysterious. And so that mysteriousness should be something beautiful and not a detriment to your own well-being. How do you deal with this? One thing, I love the 80-20 rule. This 20% of our effort brings about 80% of our desired results. Did you know that? That 20% of our effort brings about 80% of the desired results. So there really is no need to overproduce. It is so much waste. So what is that 20%? I don't know for you. How do you know? Well, you get to know the person. And if you're like me, who has a DISC profile, it's a high C, high compliance, I love systems and I love profiles. I love tests, the Myers-Briggs, the DISC, the Strengths Finder, the Colby Index, the Enneagram. I love these things. Get them, use them because you'll find that 20%. Here's a great example. Read the five love languages. Know the person you love or even your friend, what their love language is. That 20% will provide an 80% reward instantaneously. Affirmation is one of them. The Harvard Business School came out with a study that is a six to one compliment to criticism ratio. For every one criticism you give to someone, you need to give six to sustain that relationship. If you're dealing with an affirmer, you probably need even more. And so you spend that extra time affirming them and loving them in that way. Another one is gifts. Those who love to be given gifts, like random acts of kindness, a homemade card, a letter, a thoughtful text message. These little gifts go a long way. Acts of service is kind of me. We're going out of your way just to do something for someone else when they haven't even asked for it. Quality of time, not just doing something with someone, but just having that face-to-face time to be with them and to talk with them that quality time to go deep in that relationship. And the fifth and final one, physical touch. That affection, that romance that is needed to sustain a relationship. We all have a priority of one over another. Knowing your other's love language can be that 20% that provides an 80% impact in the relationship. So what's the principle in here? Bring the real you forward in truth and love. Waiting is the next one. This is waste from time spent waiting for the next process to occur. Oh my gosh, this one hit me hard as well. Lack of communication relationship. How so? Here, I'm an avoidant. I don't like conflict. And so I wait. I sit in the background and end up becoming passive aggressive because I have a tough time sharing my negative thoughts of when I feel like I've been hurt because I'm afraid that maybe I won't be loved when I actually say it. I won't be received. I'll be looked at differently. Here's a great example because it's so close to me that I gave a principle, a policy, and then the process for, because I need this. Again, this is the previous episode of Living the Real. These are really important things to do and it takes time. You're right. But guess what? Important things take time to do. And you don't have to do all of them. 
You don't have to sit here and try to create all of your principles for your entire life, all of your policies and all of your processes. That would take forever. And it's, it's again, another, another waste. It's not, it's not lean. It's not just in time processing. It's better just to, to create these as they become thorns in your side. And that's it. I'm an avoidant. So my principle is trust in radical candor and authenticity. Trust in radical candor and authenticity. That helps me. That's my guiding principle, but I'm still not going to do anything about it. So I have to have a policy. I must bring up what has bothered me within 48 hours of the feeling, when I recognize the feeling. Because oftentimes it might take me a while to even recognize the feeling. So that's my policy, but that still is not enough for me because then I won't know how to do it. Because I have a tough time doing this. So I have to create an incredibly small baby step process that warms me up in a way that allows me to do this in a safe way. So then I have to create a step-by-step process on how I'm going to do this that works for me, right? A principle, policy, and a process. If I just do that for this, it is a home run for me. Go back to my previous episode on the five P's of maintaining your life. Unused talent, the next one. Waste due to unutilization of people's talent, skills, and knowledge. What I thought here is compliance controllers. Studies show that highly compliant individuals become this way because of their controlling relationships, which fascinated me. It's not that they're, they're first compliant and then people just have to like pick up their slack and then they stay in this compliant role where they don't do anything. It's because they weren't that at all, but they had controlling relationships where then they felt like they had to relinquish control and they stopped doing things and they become passive. And now are they using their talents? No, they're just being kind of subservient and they're not fulfilling their dreams and they're being squished down and pushed down and judged. A controller needs to encourage the compliant to bring their, their gift forward. It doesn't mean the controller has to stop being a controller. It's also part of their temperament, as you learn in the Enneagram and other ones. But it can become unruly and destroy people around them. So that person that has a controller-like tendency needs to encourage and recognize that if they're in a particular relationship with a compliant, they need to elevate the opportunities for that compliant person. Exacerbate it to a level where it encourages them to really use their talents. And it might feel so excessive for a controller. At the same time, it's barely even noticeable to a compliant. The next one, transportation. Wasted time, resources, and costs when unnecessarily moving things from one thing to another. Again, how does that have to do with relationships? Constantly having to move things around to make time for another. When your life is so chaotic, you're constantly shifting and moving things just to squeeze some time in. How do you feel that? There's something wrong about this. There's a lot of waste. When life is the rule, love between spouses becomes the exception. And we need to flip this, that love is the rule, right? And life is kind of the exception. That we make this the priority and everything around has to wane for the sake of keeping the most important thing alive. How do you do that? Go back to maintenance. Again, it's all about margin, momentum, and maintenance. If you do not have these systems in place, even your relationships will fail. Examples, work, friendship, hobbies, personal interests, children. I have a principle here. Love between spouses has priority over love of children. How many of us get sucked into the childcare syndrome? Think of them as fragile little objects. Even Brene Brown, I love her, says that children are made for adversity. To stop babying them and coddling them and treating them as if they're, they can't even deal with the world without us. 
that the marriage always comes first and the children come second. And that only benefits the child in the context of marriage. And if you don't, you will have no time for romance. I'm sure many of you feel that. Dry. It's all sucked up. So it can change though. It can change the drop of a hat. Change your priorities. Change your principles. Change your policies. Another one, sacrifice our preferences for the, for the other, but not our values. I may value health and I may even value running, but my preference to run at 7 a.m. or whatever it is when my spouse needs me the most for maybe breakfast with the kids needs to be cut. That is a preference. I can run some other time or I could shift temporarily to a different kind of exercise, but my value for health must always be maintained. And if your values are being compromised, that is a deficient relationship. But we need to know the difference between preferences and values. The next one then is motion. This is the idea of wasted time and effort related to unnecessary movements of people. How I took this in relationships is a little bit different because I've seen this. And it's the idea of too many expectations being placed on another person making them feel as if they have to constantly be moving like a moving target and they're exhausted not to be a target of so many criticisms. So they're having to constantly move and shift and they're exhausted moving all over to make and obtain approval. They're constantly moving, trying to change and modify the other person because they're constantly moving themselves and they're constantly trying to make this approval, jumping through hoops to keep the relationship satisfied This is waste and we cannot allow this to happen and we should not do this to other people. Of course, we're going to be moody and we're going to be different from day to day, but we still need to offer some sense of an anchor. How is it going to be anchored in the principle that relationships are grounded in being over that of doing? And this is hard for men, particularly me. We find a lot of identity in doing things. We like to work with our spouses shoulder to shoulder not face-to-face as much. Because we get a lot of meaning from that, and that's good, and we ought to do it because we can feel connected with our spouses that way. But again, the love language, it may or may not be the principal way by which your spouse encounters meaning and depth and value. It may be face-to-face, just being with someone and not doing. It may be a, quote, waste to you, but it's not to the other. And if you love that person, then that waste is something you cherish. Finally, the end, extra processing. The definition, waste related to more work on higher quality than is required. Overthinking in a relationship, overfeeling, overworking to earn your love. It's a sign that we're out of control. It's busy. If that's the case, we've got to change everything if need be to put the relationship first. Overthinking, overfeeling, overworking, these are all symptoms of bigger realities and a lack of priorities, wrong principles, terrible policies, no processes whatsoever. Know what is in your control and not in your control. Again, go back to the 80-20 rule. Be satisfied and not maximized. Because if we are maximized, we are going to constantly be extra processing, trying to earn our love, crave it, and we're not going to get what we want. In the end, our goal is to be satisfied, to be fulfilled. I hope this helps. Extra processing, motion, transportation, unused talent, waiting, overproduction, inventory, defects. 
This is a great examination of conscience to see in those areas by which we are wasting and not having lean love in our life and transform into something that's greater, it's deeper, it's more solid, and to reallocate our waste into something that provides value to the other. One thing before I go, as I want to offer this to you, this may have surfaced a pain points in your life in the context of relationships, whether it's marriage, friendships, in the context of employment, whatever it may be. So I want to, if you have 15 minutes to go to livingthereal.com slash survey and fill out a 15 minute survey, which I ask you about some of your pain points, because I want to know, I really want to know how I can best provide value in this podcast and on my, on my website to bring a great impact into your life, to change your pain points into something that's profitable, not necessarily financially, maybe so, but to really know and see concretely where is the gift in the circumstance and truly be able to obtain the gift in it, to have change, to love greatly, to be more generous. But I think it requires a framework to be able to get to that way. But everyone's different. So please go to livingthereal.com slash survey when you get a chance, take the 15 minutes, fill it out, help me so I can help people like you. I'm picking five people who I'll come on with a call for free for 30 minutes to help you address your pain point and to make it into something profitable. Not in 30 minutes are we going to solve the problem, but we'll begin to create some groundwork, some first steps to get out of the pain and into something profitable. Thank you for listening. I hope this was helpful. I have so much I want to chew on for the next month. I hope it is for you as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Living the Real. If you want to check out more information, go to livingthereal.com and sign up for my newsletter. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that at patreon.com slash LTR, as well as one-time payments at Venmo and PayPal in the show notes. See you all next episode. Take care. Bye-bye. Before you head off, I just have one small favor to ask of you. If there's anybody in your life that you can think of, two people that might really could use this Living the Real podcast, would you share it with them this week? I'd greatly appreciate it. Somebody in your life like, man, they could just use a deeper perspective, right? Maybe a calling to a bigger purpose, or maybe they just need a better plan in their life. Share with them. Give them the hope that they need to be able to get out of whatever they need to get into, to be inspired to do something great. So if you can think of two people in your life right now who could use a little bit more of a realness in their week, please share it with them. Take care. Bye-bye.